Oh, welcome everybody and welcome to all who are with us on Zoom. Uh, my name is Matthew, if we haven't met before, and I'm speaking this morning as we continue our uh, series looking at the Gospel of Mark. So let me dive right in. Um, when Christopher Luxon took over as the leader of the National Party a little while ago, he came on the program that I work for on um, on the radio, the news program, and um, it was getting close to the end of the hour, the bulletins coming up, the pips come up at um, about 5.59, and our presenter, um, Lisa, had some quick-fire yes or no questions. So she asked him what his favourite animal was, and he quickly said guinea pigs. <laughs> and a few questions later, she asked, is disloyalty a sacking offence? Yes or no? Mr. Luxon said, oh, I, I want to be really clear, you know, we've had a conversation on the weekend and we set pretty high performance standards. I, I know how to run high performance teams. Expectations are clear. Consequences are clear. He could have just said yes or no. And the same happens with the Prime Minister. If a reporter would ask the PM if the, the sky is blue, she might well say, Oh, look, let me be clear. I think the vast majority of New Zealanders would agree that it, there is a sky, and, uh, I'm, but I'm not going to preempt a decision on that. So let me say this, though, that this government has always supported the rights of people to get outside. <laughs> Could have just said yes or no. Um, it doesn't matter what team I'm talking about, blue or red. Politicians, politicians will, will almost never give you a quick, straight answer. And sometimes that's fair enough. You know, life is complex and as much as the media would like to trap a politician for a headline, a simple yes or no we know often does not, <clears throat> does not do the question justice. And um, Jesus can be a bit like a politician and the Pharisees can be a bit like the media. You know, in the book of Mark, in chapter 12, um, they ask Jesus, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Yes or no? And he answers, why are you trying to trap me? Whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He's always got a really good answer. If politicians today were a bit more like Jesus in that regard, I think life would be a lot more interesting my job would be a lot more interesting. And this series of Mark that we've been going through is about these moments. It's about these questions that get asked of Jesus. But mostly we've been focused on the, G uh, the questions that Jesus asks us. The questions that Jesus asks people in the Gospels and how those questions meet us here today. Why are you afraid? What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Who are my mother and my brothers? Who touched me? What do you want me to do for you? And these are some of the questions that we've tackled so far. And as you've heard us say, Jesus teaches us often by asking questions. Because questions, they disrupt the status quo. They open our minds to new ways of thinking and, to, and being. Questions open us up to dialogue. Questions can be frustrating, but also liberating. They can be liberating when a, when a question is not smothered by a simple answer. 
And like journalists or Pharisees, we often, we want some kind of certainty. We want some kind of clarity. But God is not reductive. And Jesus can make things simple, but he is not simplistic. I guess one of the key things this series is about, in my mind, is that Jesus challenges the way we frame our questions. Maybe Jesus challenges the way we make demands of God, the questions we ask. So far we've, we've looked at those questions that Jesus asks, but today I'm going to focus on one that gets asked of Jesus. And Jesus is asked this question by a scribe, and the scribe is a bit like, uh, he, he answers the question a bit like a politician. The answer seems simple, but it's also not very straightforward. His answer is not not exactly clear and concise. So if you have uh, a Bible with you, um, you're welcome to turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 28. It says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no commandment greater than these. This is... This is a bit of a politician's answer. The scribe asks Jesus, what's the one thing? What's the one commandment that it all boils down to? But Jesus responds with two. <laughs> and it seems like a fair question. Uh, as I read um, this week in uh, Christianity Today magazine, first century Jews had counted about 613 commandments in the law. Uh, regulations, 248 commands and 365 prohibitions. And they ranged from the most foundational ones like you shall have no other gods before me to more peripheral ones like do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. <laughs> so there were all sorts of prohibitions and commandments. All of God's laws are equal, but obviously some are more equal than others. Now Jesus' response to the scribe is... It's pretty fascinating, I think, because in a sense, he accepts the question, and in a sense, he gives a straight answer. But in another sense, his response, it challenges the way that the question is asked, right? It challenges the way the question is asked. The scribe wants the commandments boiled down into one. Fair enough, but Jesus won't be cornered. And even in the version, um, you see the same question asked in the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus, in that answer, he even says that the second commandment is like the first. This is in Matthew 22. He says the second commandment is like the first, adding that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the most important commandment for us is twofold. Love God and love each other. If you, if you keep the first without keeping the second, you're not really keeping the first. 
It's one of those um, slightly mind-boggling things to hold in our head, one of those mind-boggling tensions of our faith, um, like believing that Jesus is one person, but he's both fully human and fully divine, or our belief that God is one being, as it says in um, this commandment, the Lord is one, you know, God is one being, but we believe that God is three persons of creator, savior, and spirit, distinctive, but inseparable. It's uh, one of those weird tensions that we have to hold. Love God and love your neighbor. We can't have one without the other. And one of the commandments is from Deuteronomy and the other is from Leviticus. And in this moment in Mark 12, Jesus brings them together in a way which I think sums up his, his ministry. You know, he's, if we think back through what we've um, been looking at in Mark so far, he's already been in trouble for healing people on the Sabbath. He's been in trouble with the Pharisees for associating with sinners. He's been in trouble for touching the impure or being touched by the impure. There have been so many moments already in Jesus' ministry where these so-called God-lovers, the, um, the religious elite, they condemn him for loving the people in need around him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And in the original commandment in Deuteronomy, mind is not in there, but Jesus adds us in. Love the Lord with all your mind, which really appeals to me. Um, the lines are in, in the Jewish tradition are called the Shema, I think is, I'm not sure how to say it properly, the Shema. And they became this daily, daily prayer in ancient Israelite, Israelite tradition. And the, the Bible Project, which is a really great resource that I, I recommend, the Bible Project says it's the equivalent of the Lord's Prayer for us. It was prayed in the morning and in the evening. And it's been one of the most influential traditions in Jewish history. And the guys behind the Bible Project say that the Hebrew word for strength in this bit, love the Lord with all your strength, is me'od. That's the Hebrew word, me'od. And it occurs apparently 300 times in the scriptures, and it doesn't, but it doesn't actually mean strength, like power, strength, you know. It, the Shema is, is one of the only places in the whole Bible where um, this word me'od is translated as strength. The most common meaning usually for this word is that it's... Um, it's, it's an adverb, it's like very or much. It's what grammar nerds would call an adverb, a word that comes alongside other words to you know, augment their meaning, to, um, to, to emphasize their meaning. So it's, it's pretty clear that me'od doesn't mean strength in terms of muscle power, but rather it means very or it means much. Love the Lord with all your strength. In the Shema, people are called to love God with all of their heart, and that is our, our will and our affections, and with all of our soul. Now that is with our whole life, with our physical being, with everything in our lives, and with all their strength, with all their me'od, which is with all of their muchness. Love the Lord with all your muchness. 
and I think that's the heart of worship, to, to love our neighbors and to love God with, with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our muchness. A worship, this is really what I, I want to talk about today, is I, I think this question that gets asked of Jesus about the greatest commandment and his twofold answer, I think it, it really is, um, it's all about worship for me. Worship, it might mean really different things for each of us. It's, it can be sort of shorthand for what we do on a Sunday morning. Um, we might think of it as the part where we, we sing together when we get together. But as we all know, it's, it's so much more than that. Uh, singing together is, is definitely a, a core part of our expression of worship, our expression of love to God. But our worship is also in our, it's in our heart and mind and soul. It's in, it's in, our, in our identities. It's through our, our everyday lives. Uh, we express worship through heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Tom Wright, the, um, um, the historian and theologian, says that worship means, literally, it means to acknowledge the worth of something or someone, to acknowledge the worth of something or someone. It means to, to recognize that something or someone is worthy of praise. And the danger of not worshiping God, as I've said before and as I'm sure we all know, the danger of not worshiping God is that we can, we can become like what we worship. So if you worship money, then you see profit is all that matters. If you worship sex, then you're obsessed with your attractiveness. And if you worship power, well, you become more and more ruthless. And there's another um, theologian called D.L. Moody who said that Satan would prefer that we worship anything else. Um, church, Bible, the crucifix, uh, the music. As long as we are not worshipping God himself. I think that's what it's about, getting to the heart of things. I think that's why loving God and loving each other this commandment is at the core of our worship. It gets to the heart of the matter. Our worship doesn't rely on, on a correct ritual or sacrifice. We, um, thank goodness we don't have to bring a lamb to a temple and correctly kill it and all the rest of it. It's, <laughs> it's, it doesn't rely on correct ritual or correct sacrifice. Uh, our worship is simply to love God. So, for example, if the music on a, on a Sunday, uh, if, uh, the worship music becomes the thing that we value the most, then we might start assessing and, and criticizing and talking about, uh, what, I'd give my worship experience today a 5 out of 10, or saying, you know, that one didn't do it for me. Suddenly it becomes about ourselves. But when we get together here on a Sunday morning, when we, when we all join in on a song, I think no matter where we've come from, no matter what we're carrying, no matter what, what mood we're in, uh, no matter if we're sing scared of singing out of key, uh, when we join in, it's, that's where our, our hearts soften and that's where our minds open. And we're singing, we're singing lines of scripture, we're singing God's word, we're, 
when we do that, we get filled up with God's word, and, and we're we're not only learning something, so it's in our mind. Um, it's the word of God goes from something written in a book to being in this melody that bounces around our brains for the rest of the week and bounces around our hearts as well. Words make you think a thought and music makes you feel a feeling, but songs make you feel a thought. And that's why we sing. It's um, one of the ways that we express worship. And another is communion, a, a beautiful, tangible thing that we do. But when we sing, when we sing together all as one, that's, that's how we are, uh, it's a great way that we can love God with, with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our souls, and all of our strength. I think we, we could do a whole series on the power of um, words and music together, I think. But um, leave that for another time. Um, what about expressing our worship through loving our neighbours, the second of the twofold um, most important things that Jesus mentions? Well, at this point, I'd go to the book of Amos. There's a bit in Amos which I've always loved, and the message translation of it is particularly um, challenging. I, I love the way it's written. In Amos um, 4, it says in the message, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and your conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and your image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. And of course, we all know 1 Corinthians 13. St. Paul says, If I speak in the languages of men or angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and, I have, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It's great to be preaching this message. I feel like I'm talking to myself, mostly. <laughs> like, this is for me. Um, God is love. And when we have love in the way that Paul describes it, when we have that love then we're worshipping God. When we seek justice and mercy, that's when we're becoming more like Jesus. And in our, in our church, in the room, we've got teachers, we have lawyers, we have parents, we have people who work in the media, we've got engineers, we have artists, we have business owners, and so much more. And we can be worshipping God with, with our hearts and with our minds 
all the time in the work that we do. When we're patient with others, when we honor our neighbor in our day-to-day lives, it's, it's, it can be a moment of worship. It can be a moment that our, our hearts and minds can turn to God and we can give that to Him. So as I finish, I, I, as I, I get towards the end, I just want to circle back to what I said at the beginning. It, 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 looks, it looks like Jesus in this, in this bit in Mark 12, it looks like he's giving a bit of a politician's answer to a question. It's not exactly a straight answer. Um, but really what he's doing, Jesus is refusing to reduce worship down to a formula, I think. He's refusing to to reduce worship down to a formula. So that's the question. What what does it mean to love God but also love my neighbor? How do I do that? Because I can't just do one and not the other. It's it's really easy to love Jesus. Like it's it's amazing. Like you read the gospels and see what he's done. It's easy to love Jesus. It can be a challenge to love people sometimes. But they're twofold, as Jesus says. So once again, he's giving us something to wrestle with. Lloyd and the team, why don't you um, come on back up, come on up. Now, in the Gospel of, of John, on the night before he died, Jesus said to his disciples, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. So it's a little bit of something to throw in at the end here, which is really important. As I have loved you, as Jesus loves us, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Uh, God knows us, right? Like God knows that we, we can't, we don't always love ourselves and if we don't love ourselves then we might not do so well at loving uh, our neighbor and treating them like we want to be treated if we you know, are not loving ourselves. So he sets us a bigger challenge, which is to love others as God loves us. And I think that leads to the, the final thing that I want to say about worship this morning is that it's about letting God love us more. At the heart of of worship, especially for us in the Vineyard Church, it's not just about what we give and what we express, but it's also about what we receive. You know, we gather like this to to receive from God. Um, as we as we gather in, on the Sunday morning, and as we um, or if we gather in a small group in the middle of the week, we have this opportunity to to welcome the Holy Spirit. We have this opportunity to, to rest in God's presence. And as we, as we stand and sing, we have a chance to surrender whatever we're carrying, anxieties, um, our burdens. Well, we bring our gratefulness, we bring our celebrations to God as well, and we, uh, we, we let our guard down. We, we allow a bit of vulnerability, and um, I think... That's when God can really show you how much you are loved. I think that's when God shows us how much we're loved. So, 
with that in mind, let's uh, stand and I'll hand over to Lloyd and we'll continue to worship. <laughs>